The following audio is from Heritage Christian Fellowship. More information about Heritage Christian Fellowship is available at heritagefellowship.net. When I, I was, grew up in North Georgia, I grew up a, um, a grand, my grandpa was a pastor. And so I grew up in a Pentecostal church setting much of my life up until I was age of 12. Um, and by the way, we're going to turn to Acts 14. If you need a Bible, raise your hand. We've got some guys that can uh, give you a Bible and, uh, and get that in your hand. So you guys can go ahead and turn to Acts 14 and we'll get there here in a minute. <clears throat> One of the aspects of, for whatever reason, of growing up, I never really, looking back, I never really knew how to read the Bible. Like, I, uh, obviously, you can open it up, read the Bible, be, in, be like, well, I don't really know what that meant right there. Um, a lot of times, you know, if you're reading through the book of Numbers, you're like, Lord, if this is the Word of God, like, I don't understand it right now. There's a lot of names in here. I don't really understand the heartbeat of that. And, and so that was, that was my, my childhood. And re- even really, as I look back, it was in high school or, I mean, not in high school, college or somewhere like where I went to seminary that something clicked in my head about the Bible, this, this book right here that we, we read. And because, and again, growing up in church, I remember my grandpa holding this up and preaching. He, he was the, again, Pentecostal pastor, red face screaming. You know? I mean, just that whole deal. I remember Billy Graham, you know, holding up, holding up saying, this is the Bible, you know, in that good North Carolina uh, accent right there. And, and something clicked in my head and in my heart in college, going into seminary, about the fact that this book is not about me. <laughs> it's, and I want, to, I want you guys to hear that. I want you, this book is not about you. It, it, now it does. It dissects our heart in a way that only God can do. But this book right here is about one person alone, and it's about God. <laughs> it's about him and his, the way that he redeems the world back to himself, about how he created all perfectly, about how he's going to renew it all and restore it all. It is about him. And, um, and I, w- I want you guys to hear that. And I'm going to show you guys some stuff. And as, before we dive into Acts 14, we're going to start big picture, 36,000 foot, and then we're going to kind of zoom in onto Acts 14. So some of you guys have seen this, and if you haven't, this is a really good thing to write down or remember. The Bible essentially, if you, if you think big picture, the Bible was written in, with this theme throughout. And, and it starts in the Old Testament, Starts in the Old Testament with Genesis. That's creation, where God created everything perfectly. He created it for His glory, and He created it for for man. He created man and woman, and He created man and woman to be in perfect relationship with Him. Creation. However, really quick, things went south. Uh, Genesis three documents how um, how sin and sin is essentially this. Um, it's actually an archery term. It's this uh, in the Greek. It's this word harmartia or harmatia. I don't even know. I didn't take Greek, but. I've read it. And, um, and so, but it, sin is this archery term of missing the mark, of missing the bullseye. And God, God alone is the one that hits the bullseye every time. Like it's in his nature. He can't do anything else. Us, on the other hand, that's, we miss the mark. We're, we, we miss the mark. We sin. And that's what entered the world was sin in Genesis 3. So the creation happened, the fall. And then the Old Testament begins this story of God redeeming, showing how he is going to redeem us back to him, fallen people. 
In fact, um, like you, it, it goes through you know, any number of, of books. You, you read through the Old Testament. Some of it's more clear than others, um, s- certainly. Um, however, it, it really encapsulates in, um, in Isaiah 53. And 700 years before Christ would come to earth, the prophet Isaiah, he prophesies about one who would bear our griefs, one who would carry our sorrows, one who would be pierced for our transgressions, one who is crushed for our iniquity, for the sinfulness we have, and one who would bring healing to us by his wounds. So the Old Testament details, in, in details that story of how God's going to begin redeeming the world. And it, it's one giant arrow at one person, Jesus Christ. And then the New Testament even more so details that. And the New, Te- New Testament documents the birth, the life, the death, and the resurrection of this Savior Christ, which fulfills God's promised plans to redeem people back into a perfect relationship with himself. That is, the New Testament is, details that in which we're in today. And then later, obviously culminating in the book of Revelation, uh, the Bible ends with us, with God restoring everything back to perfection, restoration. Um, and he does it for his glory. Uh, we will see no more death, dying, sickness, nor sin. Uh, it's a perfect heaven and earth. We get to be benefactors of that, but it's for his glory. It's, it's to glorify himself. And, and like I've always, um, as I process through that, I've, uh, I've even came across the question of like, isn't that kind of selfish of God to glorify himself? Yes. And then the question, second question becomes, what else would you want it to, who else would you want him to glorify? You? At that moment, it becomes you the one that's God, if, if you're the one that wanting to be glorified. So we want God to be the perfect one who's glorified in our lives as the Bible details it doing. And so now we come into Acts, Acts 14. And Acts, the book of Acts in and of itself, it falls within the confines of God redeeming all things back to himself through his son Christ. Specifically, Acts details the works of the Holy Spirit, the beginning of the church, followers of Christ, which he uses, and that's you, that's me, which he uses on earth to accomplish his mission through the power of the Holy Spirit. Praise God for that. It's not through us. It's through the power of the Holy Spirit that he does that. And then we, we see in um, the life of Christ, Christ is, he has been born. He's lived a perfect life. He has died a horrific death. He's been buried. He's rose again from the grave. He appears to, for 40 days, he appears to uh, hundreds of people just showing signs that, hey, I'm alive. I am here. And then in Acts chapter 1, these, the uh, disciples are standing before him and he is saying, hey guys, I'm going back to heaven. I'm going there. And the disciples are like, what are we supposed to do, God? <laughs> I mean, Jesus, what are we supposed to do now? Like, we've given our lives to follow you. Now you're leaving us. And he says something really cool in Acts chapter 1, um, verse 8. He says, but you, and he's talking to the disciples there, but this also applies to us. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem. These were Jews. They were, Jerusalem was their home. So he's going to, you're going to be witnesses there, here in Jerusalem. And then in Judea, all Judea and Samaria, that's the area around Jerusalem. And then to the ends of the earth, to the end of the earth. And that's where the book of Acts, like if you lay out a book, the teaching of the book of Acts, go to the next slide, guys. The book of chapters 1 through 7 is the preaching of the gospel in Jerusalem. Remember, detailing that, 
You'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem. So the Acts chapter 1 through 7 lays that out and lays out the foundations for a theologically healthy church. Acts 8 through 12 is the work of the gospel in Judea and Samaria, just beyond Jerusalem. And then Acts 13 through 28, which is where Acts 14 falls today, is going to be the expansion of the gospel to the other most parts of the known world. That is the book of Acts right there. And I tell you guys that really quick before we dive into the details of Acts chapter 14. Because I want you guys to hear, like, the, the book of the Bible is not just something thrown together that, like, in, in something where you just pop up, open and, like, read something. Well, the Lord's going to speak to me today. Oh, I popped open to Amos 3, you know, and I will strike the winter house along with the summer house, and the houses of ivory shall perish. Like, and you're like, I don't really know what that means. Like, how does that apply to me? It, it does, and I don't, I'm not going to go through that right now. <laughs> and, but... The, the Bible was written really coherently and really cogently for one specific purpose. And it's to point glory to God through his son Christ and through the power of the Holy Spirit. And so when we go into Acts 14 today, let's think through that really quickly. Water break. So, in Acts chapter 14, we have a couple of uh, key characters. Number one is Paul. Paul, he, um, if, if you don't know the story of Paul, great story. Uh, before he was Paul, he was Saul. Saul was a persecutor of the church. He was, he was breathing threats at the church continuously. He persecuted uh, Christ's followers intensely. Uh, in Acts chapter 9, he met Christ and his soul was saved and he became a Christ follower and a major leader of the church. And he wrote the, um, the, a significant majority of the, uh, the New Testament. And then last week in Acts chapter 13, we saw how Paul began this, uh, his first missionary journey. So Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, now he's going out. He's going out from there to the ends of the, to the, ends of the earth, of, of the known world at the time. And he's teaching the gospel, which is that, that message that the grace of Christ and faith in Christ saves us from the punishment of sin. And we get God. And then we have eternal life with Christ. And he, he does go, goes about teaching that gospel right there and beginning new churches around this gospel. And, so, and then also, too, I want you guys to realize, too, that the Bible was written and it happened in an actual place. <laughs> like, the, let's show this first slide. So this is kind of today where we're at in the first missionary journey. And I'll, here in just a second, I'll show you the next slide. Um, th- this is modern day of where this happens. In fact... Um, if you can see kind of up here near, I guess, Latakia, somewhere in there is kind of where the, the, the church that he was sent out of in Acts 13, Antioch in Syria, is at. And then he's going to go all the way around and like in um, all this area right here is where his first missionary journey happens. Those places are still there today or remnants of these places have been found. Go to the next slide. <clears throat> and this is what it looks like. The arrows of where he, he went to, um, to Cyprus, and then he goes up to um, Pamphylia, I, I think, and then up to Galatia. Today, we're going to start out in Iconium, which is where you see number six, I believe. That's where he's going to be at. That's in modern-day Turkey. So this is where this is happening at. <clears throat> and so, Acts chapter 14. Let's read through Acts chapter 14 with all of that in mind right there. All that background of like, okay, the Bible was written to me, I mean, not to me, for the glory of God, but we get to read it and realize that it, this happened. It says in Acts chapter 14, <clears throat> 1 through 7, let's read that first. It says, Now at Iconium they entered together 
into the Jewish synagogue and spoke in such a way that a great number of both Jews and Greeks believed. But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. So they remained for a long time speaking boldly for the Lord, who bore witness to the word of his grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. But the people of the city were divided. Some sided with the Jews and some with the apostles. When an attempt was made by both Gentiles and Jews with their rulers to mistreat them and to stone them, they learned of it and fled to Lystra and Derbe, cities of Lycaonia, and to the surrounding country. And there they continued to preach the gospel. All right, so let's go back through that, what we just read right there. First thing is, I want you guys to notice, and um, if you take notes, you know, take notes. If not, take note in your mind of this. Um, but so we, we jump out and it says, now at Iconium, they enter together into the Jewish synagogue. So when they, on their missionary journeys, this is a common place in missiology. Like if you go on a mission trip, we're going to talk about unreached peoples kind of here at the end. Like you're going to go in and you're going to find a something that connects. <laughs> like you're going to hopefully, you know, hey, we can go into this place and connect with someone often in missiology they call that a person of peace or a place of peace in this right here they go into a jewish synagogue and in part this was done because the jews were the essentially they were the the in the old testament the favorite of god (laughs) they were the ones that like held the old testament scriptures so and for that very reason as well they were they went into it was a natural starting spot they went in because they knew that they knew the old testament they knew it was authoritative and that the word of god they believed the word of god but the old testament aspect of it <clears throat> and they spoke in such a way that a great number of both jews and greeks believed think of that spoke in such a way um here's the reality any one of us could be a great, is that, I don't know if this is the right word, orator, orator? I don't know. Uh, they could be a great speaker. And you can get up and teach something and be like, wow, I learned a lot through that. However, when we're talking spiritual things, like when we say spoke in such a great way, like the Holy Spirit is doing the work in that. Like even this morning, as I was praying for you guys, and I was standing back there, I was praying. I was like, God, I'm not a, I mean, it's not about me. I'm not a great speaker necessarily. Like in any one of us, if we got up here, we would say probably the same thing. But the reality is, is I was praying for the Holy Spirit's on your hearts, on your souls, to really to awaken apathetic hearts and to bring people to Christ. And I know that, I know that prayer is, is gold, for lack of a better term, because, like, I, and that's God's heart, is to awaken our souls, to follow him, to be passionate for his glory. I want that for myself. I go through season of apathy. I go through season of, like, oh, another day. <laughs> like, do we need to do this again? And, I mean, there are days when I have that. And, like, I prayed, Lord, waken my heart, waken my soul to love my wife, to love my kids, to, to be engaged in what I do. And that's the, whole, the work of the Holy Spirit. And they're speaking in such a way that a great number of both Jews and Greeks believe. And it's also important to know they were speaking the gospel. They weren't just getting up there and saying, hey, if you want to, you know, own a house, here's how you do this. They were speaking the gospel, the message of salvation, which was a message that was really, really um, really difficult for the Jews to hear in a lot of ways because it was about Christ. It was about Christ, the one that they didn't believe really had come to, to save us from our sins. 
And so it says, spoke in such a way that a great number of both Jews and Greeks believed. So Jews and then Gentiles as well, they believed. They came to Christ. It says, but the, the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. These, Jew, these unbelieving Jews, these ones that are going to be a problem, they're going to continue to be a problem. We're going to see that they're going to follow uh, Paul and Barnabas, the guy that's with him, and they're going to follow them for 100, like 100 miles on foot to take them out. <laughs> these guys are unrelenting, like that mosquito or gnat in your ear. I, again, I grew up in the South. Gnats and mosquitoes are all over the place, so it's just like our national bird or state bird or whatever, you know, where you're like, get get away you just get used to it or they fly in your eyes and they get stuck you know I mean just that whole deal that's what I picture with these unbelieving Jews they're just annoying and so it says so they remained for a long time they weeks months they they stayed like walking through the gospel teaching these people this speaking boldly for the Lord can I say too that when you speak and when you like tell the gospel you can be bold about it because the gospel does the work of the gospel it does its work that you don't have to do. You don't have to, I mean, you can, obviously you want to do it well. But the, they were speaking boldly for the Lord. The, the boldness it comes from the, the knowledge of the gospel is true too. And he said, um, so they remained for a long time speaking boldly for the Lord, who bore witness to the word of his grace. He granted signs and wonders, wonders to be done by their hands. So the word of the Lord the gospel, in conjunction with these miracles, these signs and wonders, and we'll see one of those done here in just a minute. And it adds up to like, holy cow, this is real. Like, I mean, and just in the New Testament, when we see miracles, when we see miracles on these things, they are done to point to the fact that the gospel is true. They go hand in hand. Never are they, they done separate from each other. They're always done hand in hand with each other. Um, it says, but the people of the city were divided. Some sided with the Jews and some with the apostles. It says, when an attempt was made by both Jew- Gentiles and Jews with the rulers to mistreat them and to stone them, they learned of it and fled to Lystra. So Paul and uh, Barnabas fled to Lystra and Derby, cities of Lycaonia and to the surrounding country. And there they continued to preach the gospel. There they continue to preach the gospel. So here's the thing. The, um, so you got both Jews and Gentiles now that are against these, um, these, the, against Paul and Barnabas. We think most likely that the Jews were leading this charge to basically stone them and kill them. Um, stone with rocks. They're, they're leading the charge of this because that, the, that was a Jewish form of execution and it was typically given for blasphemy. So they're like, these guys are blasphemous. <laughs> these things, the gospel they're teaching is blasphemous. Let's kill them. Let's kill them. And so they were leading the persecution in that. And then I want to stop right here and show you guys a quick slide. And this is going to help you read, understand like one through seven, but also eight, eight and following. And then other aspects and other stories and acts. Much of, and this just comes from a, um, a commentator that I was reading. He's saying in general, here's the pattern of ministry in acts. You have the preaching of the gospel, which they did. Then you have division. The gospel always divides. It always divides. And then you have persecution come, which is, this is where you see this as well, where they're trying to stone them, take them out, kill them. 
And then from that, we have growth. We have the church growing. And we're going to see that at the back end of chapter 14 as well. That's a really good framework maybe to file if, um, if you like. I, I have boxes in my head. I like to file things away. Um, that's an old psychology thing, you know, uh, in general. This is a generalized statement, so don't shoot me. But um, is men have, men have boxes where we like to file things away. Women have generally like spaghetti noodles where like my wife, she can be talking. And I'm like, wait, are you talking about that or that? <laughs> like my brain's still in making water waffles over here, you know, <laughs> and, um, but like, this might be helpful for you guys to file some of this away of, uh, of just the pattern of the way that happens, appreciating the gospel, division, persecution, growth. So let's jump down to, um, eight and we'll read down to 18. It says, now at Lystra, there was a man sitting who could not use his feet. He was crippled from birth and had never walked. He listened to Paul speaking, and Paul, looking intently at him, and seeing that he had faith to be made well, said in a loud voice, Stand upright on your feet. And he sprang up and began walking. And when the crowd saw what Paul had done, they lifted up their voices, saying in Lycaonia, The, the gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. Barnabas they called Zeus, and Paul Hermes, because he was the chief speaker. And the priests of Zeus, whose temple was at the entrance to the city, brought oxen and garland, garlands to the gate, Gates and wanted to offer sacrifice with the crowds. But when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of it, they tore their garments and rushed out into the crowd, crying out, Men, why are you doing these things? We also are men of like nature with you, and we bring you good news that you should turn from these vain things to a living God who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. In past generations, he allowed all the nations to walk in their own ways. Yet he did not leave himself without witness. For he did good by giving you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. Even with these words, they were scarcely restrained. They, they scarcely restrained the people from offering sacrifice to them. Um, I don't know. For some reason, this is a funny interaction. It's almost like a Saturday Night Live skit or something. But it's really really cool and loaded. Um, so one, going back to the first uh, passage right there in Acts 14, they went to a Jewish synagogue. In Leicester, there wasn't a known Jewish synagogue in, in this place. And so they went, as soon as they step into the gate, though, they see a, they see a guy that is crippled from birth. Paul is teaching the gospel. And a really, really cool thing happens right here. And again, these, a miracle happens, and this confirms the truth of the gospel in this moment. It says, Now, Elisha, there was a man sitting who could not use his feet. He was crippled from birth and had never walked. He listened to Paul speaking. So the gospel's being taught. And Paul, looking intently at him and seeing that he had faith to be made well, said in a loud voice, Stand upright on your feet. And he sprang up and began walking. And what's really cool right here is Paul, like, he's teaching the gospel. And I don't know what was, uh, uh, it's got to be a Holy Spirit thing. But, like, he's teaching and something in that guy's eyes. It, we're either lighting up or you could see, he could see him, like, with his crippled body trying to lean forward. And he was engaged in it. And like Paul saw that and he's like, something's going on in this guy's heart. <laughs> like heart work is being done right here. And he, he looks at the guy and he says, stand up. He, what he, stand upright on your feet. And he sprang up and began walking. He, he, the miracle of healing accompanied with the gospel. Like these people are like, 
oh, it's, Jesus is alive. I mean, this is about Jesus. At least we would hope so. <laughs> Something different happens, though. Something really different happens. And it says, when the crowd saw that Paul had done, they lifted up their voices, saying in Lycaonian. Now, before I read this, just, I, I, I like word pictures. I like to think through, okay, what would be the situation? So Paul has just shared the gospel. Barnabas is right there. And they're like, oh, good. Now, you know, maybe more people are going to come to Christ because this guy has been healed. And all of a sudden, loud, loud talking in the, a language they didn't understand. You can almost imagine Paul like looking at Barnabas and be like, uh, Barnabas, uh, what's going on here? Like these guys, <laughs> I don't understand what they're saying, but they're getting really loud right now. <laughs> and, and like you can imagine just the, the uh, this is weird. Like I, I've been to other cultures and other, other places where they speak other languages. I went, uh, in 2005, I went to Swaziland and there they speak a, a language called Siswati. And I, I understood just enough to say hello and like, where's the restroom at? <laughs> Which is really important to know when you go to places like that. But like in the moments you're listening to other, other people speaking languages you don't understand. There's just like, are they making fun of me? Are they like calling me a hippo? Are they calling me, I mean, what are they, I don't know why hippo, but what are they, these guys doing? And it says that the, uh, they were, these guys were saying in their own languages, the gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. I'm like, why would they say that? And they'll get it here in a minute. They, something switches in their mind. They're like, oh, I get it now because they start bringing um, these offerings to Paul and Barnabas. In the context of this, just to really quick to fill you in on this, um, there was a legend in that region that the Greek gods Zeus and Hermes had visited and the people were not very hospitable to them. And so Zeus and Hermes had flooded the area, killing nearly everyone there. So now... You got Paul, two guys, Paul, Barnabas, huh, could be Zeus, could be Hermes. They come to, and they, they, they tell us the gospel, but then they heal someone. <laughs> and they're like, oh, they're back. <laughs> I don't want to get flooded out and die a miserable death again. Or, well, not again, because, yeah, you get what I'm saying. I don't want to die like my ancestors had done, supposedly. And so they, they think these guys are gods. And, and it says, and the priest of Zeus, whose temple was at the entrance to the city, brought oxen and garlands to the gates and wanted to offer sacrifice with the crowds. But this is where things change. They're like, oh, I get it now. Like they're offering, they must think we're gods. They're offering sacrifices to us. But when the apostles, Barnabas and Paul, heard of it, they tore their garments. They're mad. That's a sign of them just being upset. Like, no, we're not, we're not a god. You know, we're not one of these gods. We're not a god. It says, tore their garments and rushed out into the crowd, crying out, men, why are you doing these things? We're men just like you are. We're men of, of like nature with you, and we bring you good news that you should turn from these vain things that you're worshiping to a living God, not to some, you know, to some legend that's out here. Like, turn to the living God. Who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. In past generations, he allowed the, all the nations to walk in their own ways. Yet he did not leave himself without witness. For he did good by giving you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. Even with these words, they scarcely restrain the people from offering sacrifices to them. They, they tell this, they, they beg of them. And they even share like a, a, an appeal to, to nature that, hey, there is actual living God who created all. 
And they continued to offer sacrifices to him. And it's really cool because like Paul later, and we'll know this in the book of Romans, Paul visits the, uh, the church in Rome and he writes a letter to the, to the church in Rome and he says, he, he makes a, a, really, uh, a really just profound statement. Let's pop that up here in Romans 1. And this is going to coalesce right here with what he's telling these uh, people in, in Lycaonia. He says, for the, this is Paul speaking to the Romans, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God's shown it to them. And go to the next slide here. It says, for his, for his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Mirror that with what he says right there. He says, he says we're men of like nature with you. And we bring you good news. And we're in uh, verse 15. He says that you should turn from these vain things to a living God who made the heaven and the earth and the seed and all that's in them. He says in past generations, he allowed all the nations to walk in their own ways. Yet he did not leave himself without witness. God gave a witness. He's, and he points that out, what that witness is to these guys. He's like, for he did good by giving you rain from heaven. Like, guys, where did this rain come from? Zeus and Hermes didn't do it. And, and these fruitful seasons, where did that come from? Satisfying your heart with food and gladness. And then even the, and it says they continue to offer sacrifice then. I think the th- uh, one thing, the important thing to point out right here is Paul is like appealing to these guys. He's like, hey guys, you're, you're not innocent. <laughs> like God has displayed himself to you, displayed himself to you. And it is a sign to you that there is a God that you should turn to and a God and little G gods that you should not follow. Should not follow. And by the way, just as a side, and, and this is my prayer. Like, I, I pray this so much for our church and for myself too, is that we would be a, a, a missional church. One, and we are. I mean, there's so many aspects of, of, of missional living that people are doing. Like, um, if you haven't seen on our uh, social media over the past five, six months, we've highlighted um, uh, maybe one or two stories a month of people in our church that are on mission here in the valley or, or to, the, to the world. And I would encourage you to go back and read those. They're really cool. And if you're on the mission and you're like, you haven't heard from us or we haven't talked to you, we'd love to hear about that just so that people are encouraged and, and live those out. But by the way, this is why we do missions, because all people stand before God separated by sin. And that's why Paul is going to Iconium. That's why he's going to Lystra. (laughs) That's why the gospel came here to Medford, Oregon. It's because we all stand separated by God. But we get to go and tell about the one who brings people into relationship with this God through Christ. We get to be the ones that do that. And and if Let's just use this, uh, this thought process. If there are people out there that are truly innocent, that like are not separated from God by their sin, and that I, don't, I don't believe that is true. <laughs> like scripture would state otherwise. I don't believe that is true. But if that were the case, if innocent people do exist in the world, then why would we want to do missions? Why would we want to do missions? Like I, I like this uh, quote. It's from a guy named uh, David Platt. He says, Go, imagine... Going onto a college campus or, or your work or wherever, 
where there are people who still have never heard the name of Jesus, which there are billions of people that have never even heard the name of Jesus still today. Imagine walking up to an international student on that college campus and saying, have you heard about Jesus? And they respond, no, I've never heard about Jesus. And he says, if that person gets a free pass simply because they have never heard about Jesus, then what would you do in that situation? You pull them aside and say, okay, if anybody tries to tell you about him, then immediately put your fingers in your ears and begin yelling really loudly and run away. (laughs) He says, now, we know that's not biblical. All over scripture, we're instructed to take salvation to this gospel, uh, take this gospel to the ends of the earth. All people are condemned for rejecting God. And you wouldn't do that because if that guy was innocent, you wouldn't want to tell him about one who could, because then that moment he becomes not innocent because he realizes, oh, I have sin in my life. That, and he's using, uh, trying to be funny there. And I agree. But that's why we do missions. That's why we go. That's why we go as a church. That's why we go to our neighbors. We're going to, we'll, here at the end, we'll unpack some of this of, of um, how being missional impacts everything from marriage all the way out to unreached people groups. It's really important. And before we leave uh, this little section of the passage, I want to uh, point in on, we're in, in verse 6, uh, 15, it's, he talks about you know, turning from these vain things to a living God. These guys were worshiping vain gods, gods empty, with nothing of substance. Zeus and Hermes, like they're just names. They're really not gods that are out there. And it's really good to press in in all our hearts or what are the vain things we have in our lives. Like I have those vain idols, those things that are empty, that will produce no fruit in my life or produce no spiritual significance whatsoever. It's really good to identify those things, confess that as sin to God and turn to him, the living God. And I'm not like, there could be any number of vain things in your life, guys, any number of vain, empty idols in your life. It could be, you know, on Super Bowl Sunday, it could be sports. I grew up in a, a part of the country where literally people shoot people over college football. Just saying, it's dumb. <laughs> it's happened too. But I, I, I really, like people have that as a, as a vain idol in their lives. We have money. Money's not a, it's not a bad thing. If used for the glory of God, it can do incredible things. But so many people of us, so many of us spend our entire lives in the pursuit of that vain idol to realize that idol, that God returns nothing. The, and the same thing for stuff. Some, we, and I'm, I'm guilty of this. Like we end up pursuing stuff that a hundred years from now is going to end up in a dumpster somewhere, more than likely, uh, unless it ends up on Antiques Roadshow. And so, which is a great show, by the way. But, um, but, you know, it could be notoriety. It could be social media likes. It could be sex. It could be, you know, just our selfishness, doing whatever we want to do. Like I, I, had, I had that conversation with the guy the other day at a, I don't even know where, I was checking out somewhere. And he was like, yeah, he, he was retired, I think. And he's like, yeah, I just get to do what I want to do. I'm like, that's not biblical retirement. <laughs> doing whatever you want to do. You're still God's. You get to do what he wants you to do when he wants you to do it. (laughs) Like, that's the heart of it. And so I want to encourage you guys to dissect your heart on those vain things in your life. Because we're not too much unlike the the people of Lyconia here. We worship those idols in our life as well. And let's finish up in uh, 19 through 28. It says, but Jews came from Antioch and Iconium. 
And, per, and having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing that he was dead. Let's stop right there. There's a, you remember that pesky uh, gnat, pesky mosquito analogy? They're back. So then think about this too. Like they didn't drive like cars for 100 miles because uh, they're about 100 miles away roughly from where their home base is. They travel on, on foot 100 miles to be a nuisance to Paul and Barnabas to kill him. And, and so it says, they stoned Paul, dragged him out of the city, supposing he was dead. But when the disciples gathered about him, he rose up and entered the city. And on the next day, he went with Barnabas to Derbe. When they had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith and saying that through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. And when they had appointed elders for them in every church with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. Um, let's stop right there. So a, a couple things is uh, Derby is, well, back up a second. So Paul, he's stoned, he's like stoned to death by these Jews throwing stones at him. Imagine the visual picture of this. Like you, Paul's been, or you, well, not you, but because you're not Paul. Paul's been laying on the ground taking rock after rock after rock. Even to the point where he's blacked out, to, you know, where they think he's dead. And like, you can imagine the visual on that of just, you know, face just ripped to, to shreds. And, you know, maybe a blackened eye, his lips busted, um, you know, bumps all over his head from, you know, the contusions on his head. It's an ugly picture. It's the, the persecution. And then he gets up he goes into the city and he's like, all right, let's go, Barnabas. Let's, let's go on and further this mission of the gospel. Like, that's a pretty crazy picture. And then he, imagine the people when he goes to the next city. Like, oh, he just didn't wake up this morning on the good side of the bed. He's got some issues going on. Like, he's been hurt bad. And he's telling us the story of the gospel. Like, this guy must be for real. This, and this story must be real. This this, what he, this gospel he's telling must be real right here. And it says, when they had preached the gospel to that city and made many disciples, the gospel came, people gave their lives to Christ and began following Christ. They returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch. So not only does he, he, you know, almost at the point of death, he ends up backtracking through the cities he had already told the same gospel to. Like that's boldness right there, guys. Like, you know, okay, hey, what's the worst they can do? Stone me again? I mean, like, I already got a headache. <laughs> like, it'll be fine. Just continue on. But he's on mission. Like, and he goes back, he backtracks through and, and like strengthening the souls of those that are in that city, encouraging them, follow Christ, follow Christ, come to Christ. And, he's, and, and, and tell them, hey, saying through that many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. If that's not the visual of, hey, many tribulations, hey, guys, look at me. You're going to face persecution in your life. Follow Christ anyway. On the other side is much greater reward than the here and now. And when they appointed elders for so he's continuing to build the church. And when they appointed elders for them in every church with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they have believed. So he's building the church. He's growing the church, helping establish the church. So then that church can go out in their local, uh, where they're at, to plant more churches, to tell the gospel to more people. And that's a great, great reminder too, that like, even as I or any of us pastors, 
God's called us for, uh, for a season, for long, short, whatever the case may be, to equip you guys, to come alongside you, equip you guys to do the work of the ministry. Because guess what? I'm one person. Jeremy's one person. Mitch is one. Well, Mitch is one and a half. He's just a cool dude. But um, so sorry. And but the he and Aaron's one person. Like, guess what? There's 350 people in this room. Guess who gets to who has the opportunity to make more disciples than three or four pastors can? <laughs> Do the math on that, you guys. And that, that, that's our heart, and that's Paul's heart. He's, he was wanting to plant a church so they can grow and continue the gospel there. And it says, then the, they passed through Pisidia and came to Pamphylia. So they're basically they're backtracking to go back to, their, to where they were originally sent from in Antioch, in Syria. And then when they had spoken the word in Perga, they went down to Attilia. And from there they sailed to Antioch, where they had been committed to the grace of God for the work that they had fulfilled. And when they had arrived and gathered the church together, they declared all that God had done with them and how he had opened the door of faith to the Gentiles. And they remained a little time with the disciples. Can you imagine the celebration that is? And just the stories, like, hey guys, it was one time I was, you know, sitting there telling the gospel. Some guy grabbed me by the shirt collar or tunic or whatever, and he just started beating my head. <laughs> with a rock. And, but I, like the Lord still worked in my life and still oh, I woke up and I still got to tell the gospel and celebrate in the churches, the people that came to Christ. What a celebration right there. What a celebration. As we end this passage right here, there's a few implications I want us to, um, to process through. The first thing, I, I, I want to encourage you guys to remember that this passage is about God's plan to redeem people through his son Christ and him using the church to be a conduit of that message. Um, and, and with that question, like, have you been saved by Christ, by Jesus? Like Paul's heart came from he was saved by Christ in the middle of his persecution. And, and like if reminder that this Bible is very clear that there is a heaven and a hell. And those who follow Christ get to spend eternity worshiping him forever in a, in a heaven that's not about us, but it's about him. And then there's a hell that's separated from Christ that is eternal torment. And, and for those that don't know Christ, they spend eternity in this place called hell. And the only way to be saved is by the Christ who gave up his per perfect life and died a death for us, the death we should have died. And I just want to encourage, if you haven't been saved by Christ, come to Jesus. Like, he, he changes your life in a way that, the, the same way that Paul or Saul's life was changed. Come to Christ. For those that are Christ followers in this room, I ask, what is your mission in life? You know, again, Paul's life had been transformed. A transformed life leads to being on mission for that same thing that's changed us. And the good thing is the Holy Spirit was doing the work of the ministry. The Holy Spirit will do the work of the ministry in your life. Be on mission. Like live that mission out. The things that will distract us, the next question is, what vain things are distracting you from that mission? It probably goes better with the second question. The, the, you know, is your mission informed more by the Bible or the American dream? The American dream is not a necessarily bad thing. Here's what it, I will say. The American dream is filled with vain things. Things that are empty. Things that are empty idols. 
And it will detract you from the being on mission for Christ. It will detract you from being on mission for Christ. The next one, the mission starts around you. The mission starts around you. For single people, that starts with you. The Bible talks about for those who are single, they have a, a great ability to be free to serve the Lord wherever, whenever. That's the beauty of it. For those who are, who are married, guess what? It starts with your husband. It starts with your wife. You're serving each other. You're finding what ways serve each other. And then you, when you serve, you ask, hey, did that serve you the way I meant it to? Uh, kind of like an itch on the back, you know? You're like, uh, a little bit higher, a little bit lower. Ask. And get, I mean, like you learn to serve each other. And that serving life begins there. Then it goes to your kids. We live in a culture where kids have been elevated above our marriages. And that's not a biblical thing, and it's not good. (laughs) Serve your spouses and then serve your kids. And let that be an outflow of that. Serve your neighborhood. Serve the people around your work. Serve your church. And then serve here locally. Serve globally. Find a mission trip. Go on a mission trip somewhere. Like, think of concentric circles. It works its way out like an earthquake. It just works its way out. And, but it, and I'll remind you, but it continues to the ends of the earth. Um, worship team, you guys can come on up as we finish this. It's, it continues to the ends of the earth. And I, I want to show you guys uh, something really quick. This is called the 1040 window. So um, in that side, that box right there, the, bo- the line at the bottom to the line at the top is 10 degrees latitude, 40 degrees latitude. And they call that the 1040 window. And in that window right there, there's 68 countries and two-thirds of the people on, on the earth live in this uh, area right here. And, and I, I wrote that wrong. That says two-thirds of people in this window have no access to the gospel. Close to it. But two-thirds of the people in the world live inside that window right there. Most populous places. There's 7.7 billion, for you math majors, 7.7 billion people on the earth. In there live two-thirds of that, which is going to come out to around five-something billion out of that, 3.1 billion of that have no little to no access to the gospel. Like, they stand condemned because of their sin, but no one to tell them about Christ. Like, we have work to do, church. We have work to do to, to tell these people. And obviously, within that, that, that window, that region, there lives all kinds of persecution, of the fear of losing your life consistently. But... They will, they will stand before Christ or stand, I mean, well, they will stand before Christ and they'll, it's either heaven or hell in that window right there. And I want to show you guys too, like uh, just a picture at the end right here. So this, and parents who have kids, fifth grade and down, you, each month you guys get a, a unreached people group to pray for in your homes. I've had some really cool stories come back. Like I had a, a parent tell me a couple years ago, yeah, my son was telling his other friend about the, these Chinese people group that had zero followers of Christ on his way home from school. I'm like, that's a little missionary. That's awesome. <laughs> but right here, this, is, this right here is the Tealy people in India. And in, in this people group, there's around one million people, which is about a one, close to one and a half times the number of people in Portland, that there's no Christ followers known whatsoever in this people group in India, in the Tealy people. And that's what I want to point out to you guys. Like, we have work to do. Let's be on mission. Let's start with your marriages. Let's start with your kids and then branch out there 
to the Tealy people, <laughs> to the Tealy people, the same way that, that Paul went through life, like sharing the gospel because he had been changed by Christ. Let's be a church that's zealous for the glory of God in our homes in Medford and to the world. Let's do that. And here, just a minute, we're going to, um, we're going to end the service with communion and some worship. And for those that are Christ followers, we encourage you to come up and take the juice and take the bread. There's nothing magical about these things. They don't change into anything. But we do take them to remember the spilt blood of Christ and the broken body of Christ that was done on our behalf. And so I want you to, to do that. Let's pray and then we'll stand, worship. Do work with Jesus in this time too. If you got sin to confess, confess sin. Let's do work with Jesus. Father, Thank you for the Spirit of God that works through the Word of God to equip the people of God to be on mission for you and for your glory. God, I pray that uh, you do work within souls in this room. God, uh, for those that don't know Christ, God, may you drive sleep from their eyes until they come to Christ, the one who can save them. And Father, for those that are Christ followers. God, awaken, awaken apathetic souls to you. Awaken my soul that's often apathetic. And God, may I pray that the, the ripples from Heritage Christian Fellowship will be felt to the world because we're on mission for the glory of Christ. Locally, in our homes, in our marriages, in our parenting, in our neighborhoods, in our work, into the world. God, do your work in the only way you can. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As you guys uh, want, come take the elements.